Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And welcome to episode 169 of Guitar Radio. I'm your host, Dave, and I have with me Bex. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thanks. What have you been up to? I, I've been up to many things, actually. This weekend has been ridiculous. I can basically have not done anything else for the rest of the year, and this weekend would have me covered for stuff to talk about, <laughs> uh, which is which is pretty cool. Uh, I trekked all the way to the coast to pick up a new rig. So I now have a very, very nice looking, um, very reasonably priced secondhand computer, which should should theoretically allow me to start running VR so I can basically now spend the rest of my life playing Beat Saber. <laughs> Good. It's, it's black with red shiny lights. The, the case it's in is called the Spectre. And the box <laughs> has like a picture of a like demonic reaper ghost thing. Like someone just, it's like the worst tattoo art you could think of is this a custom build rig this it's someone else's ex custom build rig ah okay cool so it meant that i could actually afford something that's on entry level specs into vr right and okay. i assume it was once very very expensive <laughs> yes. um, not so much now but it's got red shiny lights and it's cool and i'm yeah. quite happy with that quite frankly that will set me up nicely to never leave my house again which is exactly <laughs> what you want in the middle of a beautiful heat wave um, yes <laughs> so, so there's that on saturday i went up to milton Keynes, which was where we were holding the yearly tournament for the silver sabers lightsaber academy ah yes People were there from all over the UK and also the rest of Europe cool. um, to compete. And that was absolutely amazing to see the sheer caliber and, and skill levels that those guys have got. Um, obviously, I train with Silver Sabres doing the lightsaber fighting in London. They also have Milton Keynes as a venue, but they're partnered up with various other places in Europe. So okay. there were people coming over from France and places like that to compete. I got to watch some of it. I had to do, I say I had to do, I got to do <laughs> um, a lot of the interviews with the combatants just after they'd, they'd been in their fights and things and do sort of presenting work and bits and pieces. Oh, nice. Part of me just wanted to keep sneaking out and watch the fighting though. <laughs> like I'm here to work, but I really want to go watch. And that was pretty cool because I, I got to compare the children's tournament and in the oh, air cool. and yeah watching kids that could clearly kick my ass like clearly <laughs> clearly I would stand no chance of getting these 
against these kids. You know, some of them are only like seven and they, they've got so much more skill than me. Um, and they've been training so a lot longer than me, some of them. Some of them probably about the same amount of time. They're just better. Um, but watching the adult competition, especially some of the guys that have come over from France, some of them who are ex-fencing world champions. Right. <laughs> and the different <laughs> techniques they have and the way they've kind of come up with their own sort of styles and subgenres of the fighting style that these guys teach is, um, yeah, that was pretty impressive. One guy was in full Darth Maul makeup as well. Um, oh, nice. Another guy, um, you, have, you have to watch the videos when it starts going up on the, I mean, I'll try and put some on my Tristabite stuff, but also on the Silver Sabres channels. But there was one guy whose um, means of um, putting his opponents off is to wear entirely Pikachu-themed outfits. <laughs> <laughs> so he had a Pikachu onesie, and then because it's a semi-contact sport, you've got um, armor. So he's armor, including his faceplate on his helmet. But we're like angry Pikachu. <laughs> it's That's amazing. very nice. And like there's a guy that. who's really into Jawas and he's got, uh, who has like a Jower inspired outfit and his lightsaber is completely Jawa themed, even down to the sound effects. He's got a custom soundboard with Jawa noises <laughs> on it and, and all these kind of things. Which is, um, That's pretty brilliant. Cool. So I got to do that on the Saturday and then get all the way back to London again. Sunday I spent at Play Expo. Yes, how was that? Uh, that was cool actually, because I think that's the first one we've had in London. It's the first one I've been to in London of Play Expo. And that was brilliant. I got to see the digitized of the show and I was on because um, I obviously got to help a little bit behind the scenes filming that that'll yeah, be yeah. out uh, if anyone remembers Digitizer on Teletext uh, you're old so am I <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, Mr. Yeah. Biffo and all that um, and yeah they did a panel and also there was a YouTuber panel on the Sunday which had loads of really awesome retro gaming YouTubers and I got to to meet those and the, the ones I know already got to, to hang out with and the ones I didn't know got to meet and um, it, it's always cool when people go oh yes I think I recognise you and I'm like you think you recognise me my goodness that's probably the closest <laughs> I'm ever going to get to fame I'll take it I'm happy <laughs> somebody thinks they might possibly recognise me is that's a win for me um, absolutely but they have so they had some awesome people there. They had Duncan uh, Gutteridge, who I did not realise was there and completely missed him, which I'm gutted about, who was the guy who did the artwork for Sonic. Right, yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, so he did Knuckles and Sonic 3 artwork and things like that. And I loved that art as a kid, so I'm pretty gutted. I did not get to see him. Um, mm. They're the Oliver Twins who made the Dizzy games. Yes, yes, I am I know those guys, um, yes. Obviously they had Mr Biffo and people who were from from, from all of the digitizer stuff. John Hare who did Cannon Fodder. Oh right, and, yeah. And Megalomania which is one of my favourite games of all time. Yeah. They had uh, Andy Hewson who did, well his, his son did the, the Hyper Sentinel game I covered. Okay. But he's the guy that, that made Iridium. Right, yeah. So, so many people. Um, Jim Bagley was there. Right, he yes. He did all the Spectrum games. Yes, um, yes. Just trying to get to see all the guests and the panels and stuff they had. Like I barely got to even play that many of the games. Mm. I put a little video up on my Instagram. There was just rows and rows and rows of just hundreds of retro games to play. Plus there was an indie <laughs> section. Plus there was a VR section. Plus there were some of those cool VR machines where you stand on the platform and you actually move with it. And, oh, wow. and it's, it, it's all Ready Player One. They had a couple of those. Um, and then the kind of merchandise and all the other cool stuff as well. Like I, It wasn't that big a venue. But there yeah. was just so much. You couldn't possibly have got through all of it in a day. That's you very really, cool. Really couldn't. And on top of that, they had a sort of like slightly shrunk down version of the uh, Nightmare Live. Yes, I did, saw some photos you uh, posted of that. That looked it awesome. It was so good. <laughs> awesome. It was just so Good. Although they were doing it on a stage, which seems a bit dangerous to me for Nightmare. It, it was hysterical. 
step right, no, my right, no, not that way, please don't fall off and we'll get sued. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> yeah. it was, they had um, YouTubers were the people being their contestants. Right, yeah. Presumably because they've got insurance, that means that if they fall off the stage, they might be covered. I'm not quite sure. But yeah. they were also very, very funny. And they were trying to work around the fact that they obviously only had this small stage. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, the whole thing is just so tongue in cheek. Yeah. It's absolutely preposterous. Uh, they had a big cardboard spinning uh, blades that you have to avoid, <laughs> <laughs> which are in no way pretending not to be cardboard. Um, <laughs> they had uh, also, of course, Hugo Mike was there, who is Treyguard in the original, and he is absolutely hysterical and wonderful, and he got involved in Nightmare Live as well. So we had new Treyguard and old Treyguard on, on stage <laughs> at one point. Um, Brilliant. And the the guy playing Lord Fear, I've forgotten his name, but if you, if you Google Nightmare Live, look up the guy who plays Lord Fear because he was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> he's really proper kind of self-aware, camping it up and things like that. And um, they, they, you could tell when they were ad-libbing, like when you're supposed to move something on the stage because it's in the way and he would refuse to do it because he's the bad guy <laughs> and things like that. Um and he, he, I got some good photos of him on my social media because he pulled some great poses. He was like, I'm going to look into the distance majestically because I'm the bag. <laughs> um, and I, I nearly had one of the new Treyguarder photo bombing, me taking a, a selfie with the thing, but it blurred. It was like, no, but he tried uh, to photo bomb it. No. Great, great guys put on such a performance because on paper, if you looked at what that show was, it's, 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 it's not very good. But <laughs> the way they do it, yeah. the amount of energy they're putting in, the amount of references they put in, the crowd participation, um, and just generally the way they're running it makes it absolutely brilliant. I think it would be pretty funny even if you didn't know what Nightmare was. Obviously, it's funnier if you do. Yes. Yeah, because there is a lot of in jokes, and they throw in a lot of facts as well. Um, okay, so they'd be kind of like, yes, not many people complete this dungeon. However, sometimes it's Christmas, and for no reason, the TV channel decides that Santa's going to turn up, and that's why that team won that year. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and they, they started throwing in factual information about the original, and um, wow, and how it was made, and little tidbits of behind-the-scenes information and things, which I thought was really nice to sort of litter that stuff in. Um, yeah, as, as well as everything else, they, they were great. Watching um, people solve puzzles which involve mysterious magic floating letters known as people you're supposed to pretend aren't there in kind of black suits right running yes. around the stage holding cardboard letters <laughs> and they're just going oh magical flying letters we have Ooh. no idea how these are moving <laughs> and just you know if you can work that to your advantage to make it better than if you did it properly you know you are true entertainers yeah yeah so, it uh, sounds brilliant it really really was and um yeah I would love to see it again in its kind of fuller full stage version rather than just the sort of mini stage we had um, yeah. but they they were absolutely brilliant and um, just just generally um, I got to meet loads of loads of cool people and um, and had a good weekend and I'm now pretty exhausted <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad you had fun. Mm. <laughs> I expect articles from this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> After I've had 24 hours of sleep and right, then played then. Beat Saber for 60 hours. <laughs> Maybe. And then had another 24 hours of sleep. Um, <laughs> what have you been up to? Well, I mean, my, mine's mainly sort of TV watching stuff. I ha haven't had any kind of big events. I've got some stuff coming up, but I haven't had anything 
I've been to recently. So uh, movie-wise, I actually got round to watching Ready Player One, which I hadn't actually seen. Have you seen this movie yet? I have still not seen it because I do not understand why a movie that is clearly based at a young adult audience with a Hollywood plot and is going to be quite simplistic and immature is littered with loads and loads of references to things from when I was kids and I'm not sure how that <laughs> entirely is going to work. I, sh- I should watch it. I, yeah. I, should, I should do a fair shot. I've already read the book and I really, really like the book. The book is possibly aimed more at us than the movie is actually. Uh, mm. The book, because the book has a lot of 80s reference in it. References in it. I mean, the maybe bit, I should just read the book because I've not even done that. I would read the book because the book is brilliant. Mm. Basic premise of it is it's a dystopian future. Everybody spends all their time in this place called the Oasis, which is a VR system. It's, it's basically the thing that runs the economy now, and it's also where people go to have fun. And there are our entire planets that are based around you know ones based around Mario, or you know you've got one which is a Minecraft world like Minecraft. Planet. It, literally you know so there's there's various things like that it's created by one guy who when he dies he he sends out a message saying i've left an easter egg in the system to get to the easter egg you've got to crack these three clues and sort of gives them i think the first clue and they've got to get these three keys and it takes forever for somebody to try and crack the first clue but you know you've obviously got a lot of people that are going after it there is also the second largest corporation after the people that own oasis the second largest corporation is desperate to get hold of it as well because the big prize is control over the whole of the oasis that's, that's more than your standard easter egg i was expecting it to just be like you know a reference to a previous version of the oasis with <laughs> yeah. an in joke exactly so it's the the easter egg basically gives you complete control of the entire oasis so this has led to the second largest company kind of sending reams of reams of soldiers into the system to try and figure this out and they've got entire departments based to the history of the oasis founder because all the clues relate to things that were in his life and things that happened to him so, so uh, this is a really cunning way of bankrupting your opposition yes yeah, you exactly. just make it so there is no easter egg and then you let the <laughs> rival company pour all of their financial funds into trying to find an easter egg and then you buy their stock when it goes really weak because because they've wasted all their time trying to find an Easter egg in their rival system. Yes, That's a brilliant it, plan. It would be, except there is genuinely an Easter egg. And um, he, you're following a, a character called Wade, and he is what they call a gunter, who are people that go after the Easter eggs. And uh, he's trying to figure this out. He's a huge fan of Oasis as it is, doesn't want it to change, so obviously doesn't want the big corporation to take hold of it that want to just ruin it and sell advertising space and all that rubbish. So uh, he kind of goes after after it and eventually managed to figure out the first clue so the story really is kind of following him and his little band of people i have to say one of the weirdest things about it i mean i really enjoyed the film uh it's it is very different to the book because it's a film and it's obviously shorter and uh you would have probably struggled to get a lot of the book references onto screen because of licensing so they've substituted certain characters and certain things and games and stuff but there is a certain amount of reference to classic retro gaming things in there as well so it's really fun i i thoroughly enjoyed it one of the weird things for me though watching it is certain bits of it are shot in birmingham literally on the street outside the office where i used to work so so you're seeing like these vans fly down the street and it's like i used to work in that building (laughs) which was a bit weird 
so um yeah you're kind of stuffing it and going i know exactly where that is and i i like the fact that uh you know if you want a dystopian america then you pick birmingham <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense to me that's, that's exactly <laughs> what i would have done so um so, it's like yes. when you want to know where all the nexus of time and space is it's obviously cardiff yeah exactly yeah so uh so that's that's was kind of interesting watching that from you know a personal point of view but uh no i really enjoyed the film i know it's it's had some criticism for various things, but I I thought it was well worth watching. Definitely fun. Um, I also watched a couple of comedy specials as well. Eliza Scherslinger, who uh, has a comedy special called Elder Millennial, which is absolutely hilarious. And uh, she describes she's 35. She describes herself as just getting into the millennial ga- gap, which is is why she's sort of Elder Millennial. One of the best stand-up comedy specials I've seen on Netflix in a very, very long time. Well worth going to watch that. Uh, Dimitri Martin has a new one out called The Overthinker as well. And if you've never seen Dimitri Martin, it's... It's wonderfully strange in a sort of Dimitri Martin-esque way. Uh, and uh, it, a lot of sort of visual gags with uh, pictures and stuff. It's him doing voiceovers in places over the top of the stand-up, which is a bit weird as well, but uh, very funny and kind of original, worth watching that. A few new shows and returning shows. For the People, I, I watched, which is the new Shondaland show. If you like Shondaland shows, go watch it. It's exactly what you expect it to be. <laughs> um, it's it's not particularly different. Uh, it's perfectly well-written. It's a perfectly well-written legal drama. It's exactly what you expect of a Shondaland series. I can't really say much more than that. I'm Dying Up Here started for its second season and uh, I loved the first season of that. That's about the stand-up comedy scene in the 70s and sort of the birth of stand-up comedy in LA. And uh, that's really good. I'm thoroughly enjoying the second season of that. Uh, Better Call Soul came back, which again started really strong for season four. Uh, If you want to go know a bit more about our opinions on that, me and Matt are doing that weekly on a uh, Becoming Soul podcast, which is over on entertainmenttalk.org. So you can go and listen to that over there. A couple of th- news stories that uh, quick news things that came up this week. Have you seen all this stuff about the flash suit that's been flying around? I, I had not until I looked at the uh, word document for this podcast. In fact, I'd missed quite a bit with my running up and down the country and things. <laughs> and having seen the headline that's very slightly further down on this particular <laughs> list of things, I'm very excited all of a sudden for Flash. Yes. So the thing with the Flash suit, basically there was a leaked photo that came out of Grant wearing the Flash suit, which he had no idea was being taken, uh, should never have been posted online. It was in the middle of a fitting. It was the suit wasn't really in its fully finished state. A bunch of Twitter trolls or Instagram trolls, I think it was in this case, decided that uh, he was too thin and started body shaming the guy for being too thin in the photo. And so, because the fastest man alive that's a runner is yeah, going to be really hench. I mean, like, that's it, just ridiculous. Like, yeah, I mean, it, apart from the fact that you should not be body shaming anyone for any reason ever, no. when it is the flash, if anything, it would make sense that someone with such a high metabolism that even though they seem to have forgotten completely about that in the CW universe altogether has to eat so many hundreds of thousands of calories a day just to keep going. Like literally, if he skips a snack, he'll yeah. waste away because his metabolism is so fast. Exactly. It, it makes sense that he should be kind of really streamlined. And I actually think that's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, it's in more in keeping with kind of the fact, cartoon. Besides the fact, it's not like he's that thin either. I mean, you know, he's a perfectly normal 
normal size looking guy. Um, so there, there was that. And uh, they have now released the official photo. The main difference between the suits are it's it's less leather, which I think is probably a good thing. It's far more fabric. It's far closer to the comic book version. And the chin strap on the suit is gone as well. So they've released the official photos of it now, which are actually up on the website. You can see those. And there's a little behind the scenes shot of Grant as well. Um, I think the suit looks really nice, actually. I think they've done a lovely job with it. I think I've enjoyed quite a lot of the suits. The only kind of flash suit I'm not keen on is the one that's in the, the DC movie yeah, universe yeah. because I find the armoured look looks completely yeah. cumbersome and not useful for someone whose whole entire point is that they're so fast they dodge bullets so <laughs> yeah. you know flexibility and speed and keeping cool as well like if you had armour like that you wouldn't keep cool the stuff they're doing in the TV show and moving a bit away from the lever and making it more streamlined and more breathable that completely makes sense well the other reason for doing it as well is in the uh, TV show Nora who is the new character for this season although she has popped up a little at odd points in the previous season as we know and uh, if you saw the finale you know who Nora is she introduces the flash ring from the comic books so mm. uh, rather than Barry having to run back and fetch his suit every time he now will have the flash ring which stores the suit so it makes more sense that it's like a more fabric-y look as well I think from that point of view yeah because it gives the idea that it can compress in that kind of slightly yeah. magic nanotechy, whatever they're calling it now whatever the current buzzword for shrinking things is going to be this week um, kind of way and the leather suit obviously wouldn't kind of compress in that way yeah. so it does it does all work and people I mean obviously we all like arguing on the internet but there's just a certain point where you're just looking for arguments when there aren't any yeah absolutely so there's there's that up there and the other thing sticking with DC we are quite DC heavy this week the other thing I got to talk to Wallace Day who plays Nissa Vex on the upcoming Krypton season which well on, on the first season of Krypton which is about to start out over here comes on the 19th to E4 so I got to chat with Wallace Day last week and uh, the I would have put the interview on the podcast but they insisted on doing it on for a conference line and the audio quality was so bad that uh, I can't really use it on the podcast so it is transcribed and up on the website if you want to go and read through that you can uh, see the interview I would love to get her back on at some point and actually get a proper like Skype call in with her so we actually have a reasonable quality we can get her actually on the podcast but uh, unfortunately the audio was nowhere near good enough and uh, you couldn't hear bits of it so it is up on the website transcribed if you uh, want to go and read through that but she was great she was really lovely she also says uh, she's a fan of the site as well which was nice (laughs) so yes so that was really good so go and read that on the site now that's all the stuff we've been doing let's move on to some tv and film news So we kick off the TV and film news this week with some renewals, cancellations and pickups. No renewals or cancellations, I don't think, this week. Uh, One renewal. So we have got a couple of uh, premiere updates for you, though. House of Cards Season 6, that's coming to Netflix on the 2nd of November, they've said. This is the Kevin Spacey-less final season of uh, House of Cards. So I'm I'm quite intrigued to see how they play that out. That looks quite interesting. Um, Berlin Station, which is the uh, Richard Armitage series, uh, Richard Armitage. Some uh, Reese Effens, I think, are the 
two of the leads in that. Uh, it's a spy drama which runs on epics in the US. And it, I mean, it's into its like third season or it's got a third season coming up already. Nobody's picked it up until now. Now more four have picked it up. They're bringing it over in the autumn for the first season. So I'm definitely looking forward to that because it looks really good. ITV have renewed the time traveling uh, comedy Time Wasters, uh, which we spoke to the creator of that last year. Really lovely guy. He's uh, one of the guys from Uncle and his name escapes me, which is terrible. But uh, Time Wasters, very funny time travel comedy show that's coming back for a second season. That's starting shooting now. And American Horror Story Apocalypse, that has got a premiere date. It's going to premiere on the 27th of September on Fox UK. As I said earlier, though, we are going to be fairly DC heavy with the news this week because there has been quite a lot of it. The first news, which I think is possibly the one you were quite excited about, uh, Arrowverse <laughs> has uh, cast Ruby Rose as Batwoman for the crossover and potentially her own series as well. So um, we already knew that they were going to go to Gotham for the crossover. They have cast Ruby Rose in this part. Ruby Rose, you will probably know from Orange is the New Black, I think is probably the biggest thing that she, you may know her from. She popped up in John Wick Chapter 2. Dark Matters, she played an android on that as well. She's apparently starring in The Meg, the uh, shark movie, that uh, horror movie thing that's out at the moment. So um, I'm assuming you're quite happy about this. I am. Ruby Rose is absolutely amazing. Yes. Um, from what I can tell, as someone I've obviously never met, but from what I can tell, she's just absolutely brilliant. She is just such a a positive role model and a strong force and her presence um, and everything about her makes her, in my mind, absolutely a perfect choice for Batwoman. Yeah. Like, I, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that I would rather have play Batwoman in the CW universe. Um, I think she would be worthy of playing Batwoman on, you know, in big Hollywood film. Yeah. Because um, she's got that strength and I'm really happy that they're going to have Batwoman and I want to see how they're going to use that character. And if she gets her own series, that would be that would be really awesome as well. It's kind of like they're getting as close as they possibly can to doing Batman without doing it, which is, yeah, yeah. Um, which is cool. But Batwoman's um, quite a well-loved, well-known character. Now um, her last like sort of comic book series is did pretty pretty well and they were pretty pushing the boat out and um, had some great storylines and everyone that sort of cares about sort of representation and so forth will be very happy to see Batwoman and very happy to see well, Ruby Rose who's such an advocate for equality and things doing that role as well and she's just awesome yes yeah I mean I entirely agree with everything you said uh, you would think that everybody would be happy about her taking the role because I mean you don't really get much more kick-ass for the sort of LGBTQ community as somebody like Ruby Rose However, she has just left Twitter because of the fact that uh, various Twitter trolls were complaining about her not being gay enough or Jewish enough, apparently, for playing the role of Batwoman. <laughs> I'm going to go back to the cave I've been in where I've missed that because it was a nice cave. And yeah. how is Ruby Rose? No, she is a massive advocate for LGBTQ rights. Yeah. She and... came out at the age of 12, uh, age of 12, and he's openly out. Apparently, she has since said she's somewhat genuine gender fluid but i so <laughs> even more <laughs> I, I just this is what infuriates me sometimes is these are the fights that people are choosing to pick with people and I it's, it's ridiculous it's utterly ridiculous um, she's an incredibly positive person she's an incredibly positive ro role model for that community there is absolutely no reason why you should be upset by, yeah. by this I, I've never seen or heard or read anything that would say anything to me other than, she, than her being a great choice to be Kate and yeah. bring Batwoman 
And, and, I mean, I must admit, she's a good actress, and she is. Yeah. She is someone who looks like she could pull off that role. That looks like she could say she was from a street fighting background. That looks like I think she has a background in kickboxing and stuff as well. So I mean, yeah, she, she's the she's perfect, perfect choice. choice. Twitter, what are you doing? Well, on Twitter, is, people on Twitter, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, no, this is this is why I generally stay off Twitter because it's just a cesspool of yeah. But <laughs> I, I, so um, I mean, I, I think I and certainly a lot of the responses I've I've personally seen to this have been incredibly positive apparently the ones she's been getting directly haven't been so much yeah. but well, this, this is the this is the human that made break free so really yeah exactly so I, I I honestly think she's exactly the right person to do this the uh, crossover episode and potentially if they decide that they're going to do the spin-off series which is what they've talked about that is coming from uh, Caroline Dries who has previously worked on the Vampire Diaries, Melrose Place and Smallville. So she's got some background in doing DC stuff. Uh, it's obviously going to be coming from Greg Berlanti. It's going to be part of that whole stable on CW. So it will be part of that CW universe but we will first see her in the crossover episode which is coming october end of october i think so probably november ish over here some point but uh, i'm very much looking forward to this because i i think my, my gut feeling is the reason they've gone the reason that they went down the road of batwoman was they had to build a gotham set for the titan series and went should we just use it for this as well <laughs> So I rather suspect it's going to be the same thing. Even if they're not set in the same universe, I suspect they're using the same set for it. But, Recycling is good for the environment. And exactly. And if it gets us more DC-based awesome telly, I'm happy. Oh yeah, totally. But uh, I mean, I am looking forward to that Titan series as well. But there might not be connected universes by the looks of things. I'm very interesting and I think she's a great choice for it. I really look forward to seeing it. I think yay Batwoman and I think it's going to be really cool. So um, moving on over to the uh, DC Universe shows, which are separate from the CW DC shows, as far as we can tell at the moment, uh, they've cast Cyborg for Doom Patrol, which is uh, going to be confusing some comic book fans because Cyborg was never part of Doom Patrol, as far as I can work out. But um, the idea is that you know they're making this Titan series about Team Titans. You've probably seen the trailer for this, I'm assuming. Yes. yes. Yeah. So they're making this Titan series. That's going to be immediately followed on by, or very soon after that, followed on by a Doom Patrol series, which will jump and cross over from one to the other. So some of the Doom Patrol characters are probably going to appear in that. They've announced Cyborg as part of of Doom Patrol because he's the one that brings Doom Patrol together or brings the the whatever the problem is he brings to Doom Patrol. So I don't know how much, whether he's actually going to be in the Titans series or he's, because they've not announced him for Titans. They've only announced him for Doom Patrol, which seems a bit weird because he is a member of the Titans and he was a member of the Justice League. He's never been a member of Doom Patrol. So, it gets very confusing with all the DC licensing and who can be in what show and who can do what things. And they, yeah. they, they very much have with these characters because they are all products. They have ones they want to push more than others. And Cyborg is a character that has very much been called a fan favourite before anyone knew who he really was and sort of pushed quite a lot. Yeah. And I've seen some things where they've put Cyborg in and it's been really, really cool. And other things where it's sort of been just sort of like, mm, I'm not quite sure why he's here trying yeah. to sort of like pair him up with much more liked characters in order to make him sort of by association cooler. Not that he's an uncool character, but just that he was more of a lesser known character. So I wonder if they're trying to put him, I don't know, either he won't be in Doom Patrol much or he'll be, they'll put him centre stage and use that as a vehicle to, yeah. to try and 
make make Cyborg more I, important I than he would have been had they put him in Titans. Yeah, I mean, I I wonder if if they may be using him as just a crossover character as a bridge between the two series, and yeah. he'll show up at the end of Titans and or somewhere in Titans, and that will cross. You know, he's because I mean, he sort of fits in. For those of you that don't know doom patrol it's basically a collection of of outcast superheroes so there's robot man negative man elastigirl crazy jane uh, led by a modern day mad scientist called niles calder who's also known as the chief so each of the members of the team has suffered horrible accidents which gave them superhuman abilities but also left them scarred and disfigured so i mean cyborg fits that fairly well actually because that's exactly what happened to him so, he's he's disfigured by the, the the he's given powers by the saving of him. Yeah, because yeah. um, obviously he's built into Cyborg. Uh, yeah. The way the character is being portrayed nowadays is often someone who is very unhappy with what has been done to him, and it was not his choice in any way to be made into Cyborg. And um, yeah. that seems to be quite prevalent in the way he's being portrayed in a few things at the moment. And he's also incredibly OP. So maybe um, yeah, yeah. maybe he's being put in here because he's he's got such strong powers, and it can kind of bring up some of the others a little bit. Maybe. maybe. Maybe, maybe. So, no, no, it's it's a weird show to have to have chosen, really, because I see with a lot of mainstream American TV, they want everything to be very, very pretty, but they're choosing to make yeah. a, a title where kind of the point is that they all have faces for radio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's I'm interesting. interested to see how traumatized and disfigured and outcast they actually look, because a, a lot of these shows tend to want to, to keep, especially their main heroic cast, a little bit more um, yeah. Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, it, it is going to be really interesting. I mean, this is, of course, coming to the uh, DC Universe streaming service, which we don't know what's going to happen with that over this side of the Atlantic. Joey and Wade, who is the guy that's being cast as Cyborg, you will probably recognise him if you've been watching British TV because he is British, played Jordan Johnson on EastEnders, apparently. was in the comedy drama Youngers. Also played a character called Riggsy in the Capaldi-era Doctor Who as well. They have announced a couple of other cast members already as well. Uh, April Bolt who was in um, Two and a Half Men and Drop Dead Diva is playing Elastigirl and Diane Guerrero who was in Orange is the New Black and Jane the Virgin she's playing Crazy Jane so um, yeah I mean I, I'm quite looking forward to this it's been written by Jeremy Carver who is uh, one of the main writers on Supernatural and he wrote Frequency and Being Human I think the US version of Being Human obviously so he's going to be EPing the show it's, it's Greg Belanti again but as I said before I'm not convinced that they're actually going to have any crossover with the CW shows with these because they seem to be aiming at a rather more adult audience than the sort of teen audience of the CW also it would just get too confusing and yeah. you've got sort of the things like Arrow and Flash and Supergirl tonally are quite similar and you can kind of cross them over a bit whereas if you started crossing over with some of these other things it would just be very bizarre yeah. um, interesting that the the Doom Show is being written by one of the guys from Supernatural though because that is obviously another thing about sort of outcast misfits taking yeah, yeah. on the world that no one quite understands so that's, yeah. that's quite a, a positive thing being human as well obviously another one which is about those who don't fit in trying to find their place in the world yeah I mean he's, he's got a good set of shows behind him so I think it's looking fairly positive for that that should be out on the uh, streaming service at some point next year I suspect it's going to be fairly early they're probably going to run it straight on from titans that i suspect they may put titans out first and then you know this will be a few months after that but we don't know anything about what they're going to do internationally about launching dc universe yet unfortunately so we'll have to wait and see 
uh, hopefully it's not long after the US launch. Otherwise, Titans is going to get pirated to death. So <laughs> we'll have to wait and see, though. We'll have to see what happens. Moving back to the CW shows, The Flash has cast another villain. Kiana Madeira is joining The Flash in a role as the villain Spin. Spin is not a character that I, I really knew at all. In the comic books, it's actually a male journalist. But uh, for the TV show, they've changed the character round. So it's an exp- aspiring female young social media influencer. Which <laughs> They've updated Spin. Yes, so that's rather updated the character uh, seizes the opportunity to make herself famous when she discovers there's a new hero in Central City that new hero quite probably being uh, Nora I would suspect so I mean as I say fairly major departure from the, the basis in the comic books but with characters like this it doesn't really concern me too much I mean they yeah. gender are they changing characters. the powers of Spin as well or is Spin still going to sort of reflect people's emotions and make them real and well, manipulate s- people that way Spin, Spin always had got his powers from he, basically the premise of spin was he actually uncovered another guy called edouard whilst having a story it was edouard that actually had the powers and spin was kind of utilizing edouard's powers to manipulate things oh right yeah yeah um, just, again it's, it's not a character i know incredibly well but no, i was just thinking uh, like because of social media influencer and the way those are seen as influencing people i wonder if that was the way they were working in that kind of projecting and manipulating I, yeah i might sort of powers my feeling is, I mean, they they may still have it, so she's manipulated somebody else and it's their powers that are sort of amplified, but it may be that they just mash it all into one character. So it it's not exactly the same as the comic book version, but I think it's a really interesting idea, particularly in today's day and age with all the sort of stuff with fake news and the you know the facebook and the hacking and all that sort of thing i think it makes quite a lot of sense as a character to add into this she's um recently been on the show called sacred lies which is on um facebook watch which is a a streaming tv service for which is only available in facebook in the us apparently i mean, i wasn't even particularly aware of of that until the story came up to be honest but uh, yeah so there's a facebook streaming tv service who knew so she's been on that she's also popped up in episodes of winona rep and in dark matter and uh, the hayley atwell conviction series she was on the pilot for that as well so she's done a few bit of things but i don't really know her as, as an actress we do know that uh, the big bad for this next series is uh cicada which is a character played by american pine star chris klein who is the big sort of new big bad villain as far as we can tell who is off killing metahuman as every villain in Flash tends to want to do. So, uh, yes. There's so many. If the villains didn't come in and start killing metahumans, there'd be literally no normal humans left in Flash yeah. anymore. Like They're, they're just true. trying to bring balance. I'm not siding with the villains, but um, if they have any other mission, there just would literally be no way for them to take over the city or do anything because every single person would be a better human by this point yes i think you're very very true that is um so uh so... <laughs> i'm so kind of critical today i'm so sorry <laughs> it's good um, i think that's very I, I true do like, i swear i like flash i just want like the cisco and gypsy show basically now but i do like flash yes yeah um so i make that spin-off cw you make the spin-off yes well they've got a bit more space on their schedules now so uh, now they're doing an extra night a week so why not um so uh, 
Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I, I think this is a really interesting idea for a villain, and I think updating it, taking influence from from the comic book character and updating it is fine. So, yeah, quite looking forward to, to seeing that. And uh, the one non-comic book story we have, but I sort of had to put it in, is uh, we might be seeing the return not only of the original Baywatch, but also a possible series TV reboot as well. But the original Baywatch might be coming back to screens in full high def. <laughs> the notes say glorious high def, and I utterly debate that <laughs> description, and I agree with your choice to not read out those words you typed. Um, yes. What, um, like, this, this money could have been used to plant trees in the rainforest. <laughs> Why have they used it to remaster Baywatch? Why, remaster, remaster Knight Rider. If you want to hassle of remaster Knight Rider, don't remaster Baywatch. What are you doing? <laughs> well, I mean, basically what's happened is... Fremantle, it's the world's gone mad. <laughs> Fremantle Media, who are the people that had the US rights to Baywatch, have now got the full international rights to Baywatch. That's basically what's happened. It's only quite recently this has come about so what they've done is they've gone back to the original 35 mil prints um because baywatch was shot on 35 millimeter because it was back in the day before digital so it was shot on 35 millimeter they've gone back cleaned everything up re uh, sort of digitized it and made it all pretty again they've also gone through converting it to widescreen format and they've stripped out some of the very kind of 80s 90s songs and replaced them with more up-to-date music pop music music as well so that seems like a bit of a travesty this is this is nostalgia you don't rip out the old songs the fact they're bad yeah. makes them go better with the contents your notes here say there's 242 episodes that they're converting into hd yes apparently so <laughs> that, I, i'm shocked yeah well i mean that's how shocked long it... and appalled uh, 242 episodes i used to watch baywatch i i hope to god i haven't watched 242 episodes of baywatch <laughs> you quite possibly if you saw every season you quite possibly have so, it's uh, possible, but I just I need a time machine to go back to my younger self and, and say go and buy cryptocurrency instead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're gonna try and start selling this remastered version of it if that gets picked up by various networks around the world and there is a real interest in it they then may go on and make a new tv show they had hoped that the dwayne johnson zach efron movie might prompt them into like making an updated version of the tv show but because it got very mixed reviews and didn't go particularly well they decided not to do that so they're now thinking well if you put out the remastered version of the original show maybe that'll inspire people because so, after watching 242 episodes of something they watched that was terrible the first time they watched it but now they're slightly nostalgic but now they're in the music to make it not even particularly kind of like 80s 90s anymore then yes. after 242 episodes of that they're gonna say you know what i want i want more, more of this more of this more, yes more of this has not even got nostalgia right just just more just more bad telly that's what we want <laughs> New bad telly. Yes. It isn't going to, I say it isn't going to happen. It is, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It It probably is. Just just, just, just remaster Knight Rider. Remaster Quantum Leap. Yeah. I mean, well, they've, yeah. I mean, Quantum Leap. Better use of the money. I know I said planting trees in the rainforest earlier. Um, I've just, just revised that and I'm now saying remaster Knight Rider, but never mind. I've got my own. This is, this is terrible. I want to be more positive. Not helping me. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you see, you know, you could, you could also br- you bring back street talk. I mean, you know, if you're oh, gonna, yeah. 
if you're going to do it, that's the one that's not been remade yet because they've tried remaking like Knight Rider and bringing back the original. So, you know, Street Talk, they've not remade that yet. Maybe that should come. <laughs> or they, Blue Thunder. Airwolf. Yeah. <laughs> a, a new A-Team series I would get. Yeah, the well, they, they, were, was good. they were working on a new A-Team series and that apparently has been dropped for now. But uh, yes, that was in the works at one point. Some things still work and the A-Team still kind of works. And the yeah. A-Team movie, I thought, really worked. Yeah, that, no, I thought that was I, good. I would understand. What was the one with the, the, the talking dolphin? And the, oh, well, yes, Flipper. But oh, um, Sequest. Sequest DSB. Yes. Yeah, you could have that. That was hysterically bad. Yes, no, it was. I mean... And then it got that spin-off series and the spin-off series was because it was Sequest DSV and then it was Sequest 2030-something. And and that was even worse. So, yeah. It was a Stargate Atlantis of Sequest. <laughs> um, harsh. That's harsh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think when you're talking about these things you can get harsh enough, to be honest. But they, 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 they were brilliant. And there's a certain amount. I could understand remastering like the first season of Baywatch or something, but I don't... 242 episodes. <laughs> anyway, keep a lookout for... For Baywatch, it may be heading back to TV anytime Woo. soon. Uh, that's all the news we've got for this week. Next, we'll move on to the interview. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The interview this week is with the composer Sherry Chung. Sherry's worked on a variety of shows. She uh, worked on TV, film, documentaries, commercials, musicals. She's worked for music libraries. She's contributed music to many shows amongst the DCCW universe, including Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow. So even in the interview, we can't get away from it. She worked quite closely with uh, the composer Blake Neely as well, which led to her working on Riverdale. And uh, she also worked on Blind Spot as well. So um, there's a whole host of shows that we talk about, particularly Riverdale and Blind Spot, because those are the kind of main things she's been doing recently. I think we touch a bit on the uh, on the DC CW shows as well. Here's the interview with Sherry. We will see you afterwards with some highlights for next week on TV. <laughs> Hi, Sherry. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. Great to hear from you. <laughs> thank you for spending the uh, time to come up and talk to me. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. The shows you work on uh, or have worked on, uh, Blindspot, Riverdale, uh, Supergirl, Arrow, Flash, Legends. Before we get into those, we should probably start off with a little bit of background. How did you get into composing in the first place? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I was one of those silly kids who begged my mother for piano lessons. I just wanted to learn this <laughs> instrument and play it. I, I mean, she was like, oh, okay, if that's what you want. So, so bless her heart. She got me in piano lessons and I stuck with them. And it was almost like they kind of had to 
bite their tongue to ask me to not, you know, to stop or to not ask me to play, <laughs> to not play the piano. Like I'm just playing so much. So I started studying classical piano yeah. and then, um, and was really following through with that. And it just, you know, it was very serious about, about the studying and, and the playing and, um, but it, you know, kind of just learned quickly on that, that, that classical performance was just not for me. Um, it, it was honestly more than I couldn't hack it. <laughs> just, I just couldn't do it. My nerves would just, I would freeze. It was, it was kind of a mess, but, um, but also at a young age, well, I, I was also doing a lot of music within the church as well as a lot of my youth groups. And then I did some like summer camps or, you know, music camps, yeah. that kind of thing. And so I was, so music was kind of always a part of my upbringing, but I think when I was around, uh, 12 years old or something, I heard, um, the score to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And it's a really amazing score. I don't say too much about the movie, but the, but the score itself was really amazing. It's by, um, Michael Kamen. Yeah. And I, I just heard that and I was so, you know, I mean, yes, I did hear the music along with the movie and I was just so moved by the whole experience. And, and then I, that was my first compact disc. My first soundtrack was, <laughs> was this soundtrack. And I just, I just, I just loved it and kind of fell in love with it. And I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. I don't know what this is. I don't know what sort of wizardry this is or how I do. <laughs> this, but this is what I want to do. And up until that point, I hadn't been writing. I mean, I'd been sort of writing songs, I think, which I think a lot of people do. I think, you know, girls singing in front of their mirror with their hairbrushes, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. You know, I was one of those. So, you know, I guess we can say that, you know, it started, it started definitely around, uh, gosh, from just as long as I can remember, but in terms of for film music, you know, the love of that, the, the passion for that started at around 12. Right. Okay. And then uh, you went away and studied for it and uh, you end up, as most composers do, eventually end up in LA. So how did you end up hooking up with Blake Neely, who's the sort of main composer on on, yes. on the CW shows and Riverdale. Yes. So I went, I did come out to Los Angeles. I did an undergrad uh, someplace else in composition and theory. And then I came out to California for the University of California's graduate program in film scoring. Mm. And there, it was there that I met as a student, Blake Neely was one of the advisors or, you know, he was doing a class for a semester. Right. And so, and so I met him there and just one of his students, one of the many but, you know, I just was really super impressed as I didn't know his music beforehand. So I but obviously when you when you have a professor, or, you know, someone coming in, you of yeah. course do a bunch of studying up on them. And so that was I was really blown away by his sense of drama and the way that he read, he read scenes. And then, of course, the way he was teaching the class, it was just like, wow, he's he would he's kind of an awesome composer. And um, so I stayed in touch with him throughout the course of, you know, after graduation and over the course of some years. And I, I make the joke that I sort of professionally stalked him and just like, you know, every now and then just sort of, you know, showed up at the workshops he was doing or the presentations he was giving <laughs> and Hey, remember me. And then, um, I, it was actually a year after I graduated that I also did the composers lab for the ones that Sundance puts on the Sundance right, yeah. composer lab. And so he ended up being an advisor on that as well. And that I think was probably what solidified more of a, professional setting only because, you know, in, in a smaller setting like that, I think he was really able to see what I could do musically. And I was able to sort of pick his brain, you know, more on a one-on-one, -on -one, which is exactly what the, part of that, part of the purpose of those labs are. So right, that was yeah. really great. And then I just stayed in touch with him over the years. And when a project came along, we tried to work together a couple of times. I became his vocalist on a couple of his projects, um, a show of his called Resurrection, and right. then even a, a couple of episodes on Arrow. And then when he got, he got a, a little pilot called Supergirl. <laughs> and, um, he said, gosh, you know, I really, he, he, that was the call, you know? <laughs> and so I, 
he said, Hey, I'm really, I, I know your musical writing voice. And I, I, you know, you have that, you have a, you have a style in there that I really think might be great for a certain part of this character. Um, when Supergirl is Kara, when she's not you know, like, you know, right, as yeah. much as Supergirl. And, um, so I, so he's like, I'd love to bring you in and see what we can do for some of those scenes. So we tried that out. And then that was a great fit. Tried out a few more scenes that were not as much what he had originally thought, you know, some of the just her other scenes, some action ones, flying ones, and, you know, all kinds of in between. And it was, a, like I said, it was a really great fit. And he started blind spot on the same thing and the same way. And we just kind of went off from there. So it really <laughs> worked out that way. You've got additional music credits on, on pretty much all the CW DC shows. What's the situation now? Are you, are you completely in control of, of Riverdale? Are you completely doing blind spot or is it still a, a collaboration with Blake on those shows? Yeah. So those two shows ended up being um, very much a you know, co-composing or, you know, co-collaboration kind of thing where yeah. we, we, we talk about a lot of the, you know, as the episodes come in, we just talk a lot about what, what we're thinking for some of these characters. But a lot of times he and I do take the, the different storylines and we do like to stay consistent with those storylines because we've, we've developing, you know, we've been developing them each. So a lot of times Blake will take the, the Jane and the Weller, you know, the, all the Jellers thing types of things. And <laughs> yeah. even a lot of the Roman Jane and Roman, um, where I, I've really, gravitated towards Zapata and Reed um, right, yeah. and uh, there was a character this season um, Hurst and yes. which I just loved her and so I, I loved <laughs> coming up with sounds and, and themes and stuff for her so it is it is a collaboration in the sense of we uh, you know not one of us is completely in control of everything and we certainly do have to keep into in a lot of communication especially since the the music kind of goes wall to wall so it's we mm. a lot of times we have to talk to each other like oh you know how are you ending this cue how are you starting this one what key are you in are you in a tempo are you sustaining you know, those kinds of things yeah, yeah. um yeah and so we, we do talk about global arcs of the show as well and it's the same thing with riverdale as well same thing for riverdale are you still doing stuff on the on the superhero shows or are you away from from that now i'm away from that now we did have a crossover event um yes. and where we all all uh, all of us writers were credited with that one so i did work on the crossover event where we all four of us did the um did all the different the four superhero shows but other than that i am i am definitely knee deep as it were into <laughs> blind spot in riverdale yeah yeah i mean what what a, a great bunch of of shows to get your name on though i mean you know yes they're, they're just such a, a great bunch of things and it was it was quite funny because at one point yeah but blake initially had had the the individual credit on on all of those shows and i started knowing what i know about the composing industry at this point i was looking at them going there is no way he's doing all those <laughs> on his <No>. own <laughs> <laughs> well and you know what's amazing no it's you're, you're so right and you know what's amazing about that too is that you know he's a lead com he's the kind of lead composer that doesn't want to hide it you know he doesn't want and and you know in all fairness sometimes it's just it's it is hard to give people co-credits on certain things for, yeah. for many different there are political, political reasons, reasons but, yeah. yeah but 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 blake blake is really great about that he he loves to just tell people look of course i have help like look, look yeah. at this i can't possibly do nine or ten shows on my own that's ridiculous yeah. um but yes it's you know i think i think it's also a combination of you know it's a little bit of an apprenticeship as well so it's yeah. like you know there's a lot of people that will contribute music sometimes but 
you know, it, it isn't, I think, until you start getting into a situation, if you are working with another composer or with a lead composer, I think once you start, or when, if, if you're able, which I was with Blake, able to be, you know, he was open to me being more collaborative and being more creative and yeah. just, and having more of a voice on the show. And I think that's really when it does make sense mm. to, to give the co-credit, because I think that it's not just the amount of music that, that maybe I'm contributing, you know, which it is split, it's split 50, 50. So it is, we're definitely a contribution of, yeah. of at least half the show, but it's also the creative contribution. And I think that's when it makes sense. And I think Blake has just been a huge champion of that kind of mentorship and, and collaboration and professionalism, really. I'd certainly noticed on the latest seasons of pretty much all the shows that they're now listed as, as Blake Neely and somebody. So, yes. You know, yes. So, so, you know, I think that, that's, that's quite good. So where do you really start with a project? I mean, given that you know, Blake has, has started off quite a lot of these shows, there's a tone there already. So where do you kind of start when you're coming into uh, writing new stuff for the show? Yeah. So it, it, that's interesting, right? Because I feel like when I start projects of my own that, you know, I start like I've been hired, it's just me and I'm creating that sound world. You know, there's a lot of discussion with the director or a showrunner if it's an episodic, you know, there's a lot of discussion mm. and maybe there's some listening of some, some temp music or some, some just musical references. And then from there, I would say, I mean, again, if it was my own project, you know, I would, I would feel very free and also terrified because it's a little bit of a blank canvas, <laughs> you know, but you sort of feel free to test things out and say, cool. Hey, what do you think about this? I'm going to write you some music and then let's listen to it. Let's throw it up against picture. Let's see, you know, or write directly to a picture, depending on which part of the process I'm in. And then it's, and then you just sort of see what's happening and you have, you continue to have that dialogue and that discussion. And I think that that's, like I said, there's something a little bit scary about that because you are, you know, going into a blank canvas and an unchartered territory, but there's also something really freeing about that because yeah. at that point, the world is your oyster and you're just creating, you don't have to edit or produce or second guess, <laughs> at least you should try not to, you know, and then all those things of course come later and revisions and, and, and all that. And, but, but, but at first, I think that's the most exciting part is, is that creation of, of a completely new sound palette. And in the case of these shows, I think it's also interesting because, as you mentioned, Blake is the one that, you know, had the original overarching concept. And gosh, what 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 needs to happen here? Yeah. And so um, I, I think that I was fortunate because on the shows, not Arrow and Flash, obviously, but the other the other ones that I came in on, uh, Riverdale, Blindspot, Legends, and Supergirl, I was actually there during the pilot process. Right. Yeah. So why? Yeah. So I think that that allowed me to sort of split that difference between instead of creating the entire musical concept for the entire show, which was more what I wasn't doing. It was yeah. more like, you know what? I'd like you, Sherry, to take take this concept or take this idea and like for the Legends of Tomorrow, we had this sort of destinies theme, and it was mm. this sort of like, you know, what, you know, with a little bit of the time travel and, and where they all meant to go. And so he just said, you know what, just take this idea in terms of like the, like the, not the musical idea, but the sort of, you know, storyline, if you yeah. will, and then just sort of figure something out and see what, see what happens. And that, and that, and that's really fun. So I kind of like both ways. I mean, because the one, because that one, I, I have a few more parameters to work with in a situation like that. It, it wasn't just like, Hey, let's just choose instruments out of thin air. It's like, no, <laughs> let's, let's stick with this sound palette. And now let's work more on a compositional level as well as a texture and tonal kind of thing. But some of those are, yes, yeah, some of those have been a little bit more established. So it's, it's nice to kind of do it both ways. I think. Cause I obviously knew I was coming on to talk to you. I, I was listening when I was catching up on those Riverdale episodes. There's quite a lot more 
synth kind of bass stuff in there that I then I realized um what is the sort of mix of live instruments and and samples and synth things in that right right so on on blind spot we do use samples and live strings right um but when we do when we do the strings we we do a much smaller group nine violins three violas three i think the the last episode i think we actually had four violas four celli and a bass and with the nine violins and that's definitely meant as a sweetening session (laughs) that that sound it's a beautiful sound but it is it's it's certainly small enough that it would not you know it's 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 more of adding that special something of like that live feeling over on on top of the of the samples to kind of give it the live, but also the samples can help, you know, beef up the bottom end of it too. So, um, and that works really great on that show for emotional things and, and sort of driving things as well. But on, uh, on Riverdale there, we don't use, I mean, we have a little bit of live guitar, but we don't use, uh, you know, maybe some strings here and there, but it is, as you said, it's definitely a synth based show. And I think that, I think that, I mean, the reason that that came about, and that was something that Roberto, the showrunner and creator and Blake and I, we all, we actually all discussed at the near the very beginning, which was when you watch Riverdale, you're not really sure what decade you're in. You know, you have yeah. everyone's got cell phones and laptops, but they're dry. You know, you've got the fifties diner. They're driving like seventies muscle cars sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you have, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. or even like, you know, or even like fifties and sixties, you know, cars and stuff. But like the point is, is that you don't really know what decade you're in. And I think because of that, you know, we had to think about that with the music as well. And not to say that putting strings in there dates something, because as we know, that's, you yeah. know, str- strings are also sort of a timeless, you know, sound as well. Yeah. Um, but I think that that was one of the things that we, we wanted to do is, you know, to kind of actually take, a, take some of the live out of it. And so, and, and I think, I think tonally orchestral instruments, horns or flutes or strings, I think that just wasn't as much of, of the, of the right tone for the show. Cause we, you know, we certainly explore that idea as well. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Riverdale, of course, it is a very musical show in of itself uh, on top of the uh, music that, that you do are you, are you involved with any of the arrangements of of the songs and they also did that carry the musical episode as well oh i know that was so great <laughs> <laughs> um were, were you involved in in any of of that stuff or is that all handed off to, to somebody else that's ha- well, well we'd like to be <laughs> um uh, hint hint no we um no the music supervisor does a really great job it seems with the source music the songs that they choose to play you know in it and then as far as the arrangements of the songs that you're talking about like what josie and the pussycats might sing um that is that is not done by us so so we, um, which in some ways, thank goodness, because <laughs> the work, because the score itself just takes up so much time and there'd be so much little time. But, but, um, but I think, I, I mean, I think that's, what's really fun about doing the score around the music too, is because we, it's, it's a fun way to sort of interact with those musical arrangements, even though we're, we're not actually arranging them and we don't have control over that, but it's actually a, like a fun challenge to sort of work with them as well, or work mm. with the songs and say, oh, well, this is in this key, but we need to be in this key, you know, there's some of these fun musical puzzles um, <laughs> to put out there. So, so yeah, so we get, we do get to work around it, but not as much with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a great show to, to work on where there's so much music involved in, in a yes. show like that. So, you know, that, yeah. that's got to be fun to work on. Um, it's really fun. Some more, slightly more general questions. What has been the most challenging thing for you so far? The most challenging thing, I feel like in, since I've been working in more of the episodic, because I think before, 
before I was doing that, I was doing films and short, shorter films, yeah. long, you know, feature films, but also, you know, documentaries and things. And I still am. But yeah, since since working at Episodic, I would say the time constraints is probably <laughs> yes. the most challenging. I mean, you probably hear that a lot because I've listened <laughs> to some other of the, the some of the other interviewers of or interviews. Yeah. Um, and it's like it's it's so true. I think that's the you know, we come in at the very last minute, but but it's, it, I mean, it's the right time, you know, and it's, and it's just kind of like, okay, here's, here it is. And then, and then off you go. And I think one show would, would have been challenging enough. I think working with two shows, and I think this is why co-credits really are great. And if you're going to have multiple shows, because yeah. it's, because even creatively, I think, um, it just, it can get, it can get tricky. I think, so I think I would say that the time constraints, and then even with the amount of music, sometimes creatively, it's so fun and, and it's, and it provides a challenge, but it's all, it can be, I think it's good to have, multiple projects if you can with time, which even makes it of course more difficult with time. But if you can do it, I think creatively it keeps everything fresh. I think it's important yeah. um, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the things we hear from uh, people that do episodic stuff and also do film work is when they end up going back onto a film, having come off the back of a, of an episodic thing. And it's suddenly like, what do I do with all this time? <laughs> no, it's true. It's like, it's like in the airports when you're walking on those like, uh, you know, faster walkways and you're like, whoa, we're slow. Okay. You know? <laughs> no, it's totally, it's, it's on it. It's funny though, too, because I've noticed that, that as I've been doing the episodic that I, I have to make quicker decisions and I, and yeah. I, and w- whether or not they're the, the, the right ones or the best ones, which, you know, there oftentimes are because, because they're, you know, they're your first impression, your first instinct. And so much yeah. of that is so much of our creativity is really, really comes from that. It's like, what, how does this move me? Oh, I'm going to go with that idea. And I feel like, so then when I do work on a project that is much either longer in form or also longer time to work on, there's a part of me that almost gets a little impatient and I'm like, well, you know, now you have time to explore this. And, but then it gets scary because you're like, well, yeah. but my first instinct said to do that, <laughs> you know, yeah. but it's, um, but I, I, I think it's actually, uh, I think it's a positive thing to kind of work in both for those, for those exact reasons, really. Yeah. yeah. There's more chance of second guessing yourself when you get back onto a film project. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and, and actually writing yourself out of a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah exactly. Yeah. So, go with your gut. That's what I say. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll come to the, uh, the last two questions that we always ask people. First one is, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? I am. I'm watching. I'm trying to make my way through the second season of Handmaid's Tale. It's a, <laughs> it's, it's a little rough, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that but that one's great, and I I I like that one. And I um I'm watching some of the Americans. I'm a super into spies and and all that. Kind yes. Of that. Yeah. Um, and I think that one's it's coming up. It's I guess it's a finishing its season, so I have some catching up to do. Yes. Um, yeah. I just started watching Penny Dreadful. I'm a late, I'm a late comer, but I'm just starting to watch it. And I'm like, wow, I've got yeah. some, I've got some catching up to do. And then, uh, gosh, I, I forget there's, there's so many that I'm trying to, oh, well, Sherlock. I mean, yes. again, I know that's, you know, I'm sort of a, I'm a little <laughs> bit behind in my TV watching because, <laughs> you know, things get a little yeah, busy, yeah, yeah. but you know, you know what I have been watching that's sort of a throwback or maybe I'm just a huge Carrie Russell fan, but <laughs> I sort of went back and was starting to watch that older show. It's, it's literally like 20 years ago. Um, Felicity. Oh, right, <laughs> like, yes, yeah. And I, you know, what's funny about that show. I was, well, I, and maybe this is, 
I don't know if I don't know if it's, if this is accurate, if my observation is accurate across, you know, all shows of that sort of time period. But I was really fascinated by how long the scenes went, you know, and how right. much breathing room not only the dialogue is 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 given, but but even the music. There's you know, there's a lot yeah, less yeah. music in that show. And, I, and you can probably say that about some of the current shows too, but since I but I just thought about that and how how interesting hmm. it is that I I wonder if it's a testament to people's attention spans or Maybe. you know, and like why like why did why did that show, you know, really work with such which all this room to breathe and where other shows really need the, the pace. And I mean, obviously in an action show, you're going to need something different. The music mm. has to do something different. But anyway, I've kind of found that little exploration, just going back a little <laughs> ways to- <laughs> kind of fascinating yeah yeah interesting you bring up the americans i was i was chatting to nate Barr last friday so yes i love him his music is so great Uh, i know him personally he's a great guy yeah no he's he's wonderful i've i've spoken to nate three times i think now he's he's fabulous so last question if you had the opportunity to work on any tv show past present or future which tv show would it be it can't be one you've been on already (laughs) (laughs) right um, okay. I did just watch, wow, this is a really tough one because, you know, also because I wouldn't want to insult any of the the composers yeah, yeah. <laughs> who worked, who worked on those shows. I'm sure they were. Um, okay. I did just watch Godless and right. I was just blown away by the entire show. Also the music as well. It was, it was wonderful, but I, but a show like that, not just, not so much the Western part of it, but something that just seems such a departure from our world, you right. know, that's like, you know, from our current thing. So maybe even something like even a handmaid's tale or something, something that's like just so far removed from what our reality is. And then, um, oh, handmaid's tale might not be that far. But I would say something like godless, something that's, that's, uh, maybe more of even a time, a time period yeah, yeah. type of type of show, I think would be really exciting and really, really fun. The costume designer for godless is the same costume designer that did Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, by the way. <laughs> Oh, wow. It's she's amazing. She has just stories that are incredible. So, uh, yes. And what a range too. That's really great. It's, yeah. it's, that's really great too. Yeah. So, uh, awesome. Well, thank you for, uh, coming on and, uh, just spending a little bit of time to talk through some of your work. It's been a real pleasure. We'll have to get you back on at some point at a later date. Have you got anything else coming up other than that you can talk about other than that? Uh, I, 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 well, I have, I have a, I have a documentary two-parter coming up at the end of the summer. And then part of the summer I'm using to actually go into the studio and record some songs. Oh, awesome. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Oh, that's We'll see what cool. happens with those. Yeah, that'd be very cool. <laughs> Cool. Well, good luck with yeah. those. I uh, hope it all goes great. And uh, I Thank look forward so to seeing your work again on, on Riverdale and Blindspot when they come back. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. It was, it was awesome. Thanks. Brilliant. Thank you. Cheers. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. So that was the interview with Sherry Chung. Hope you enjoyed that. Blindspot, Riverdale, all the DC shows, all that sort of stuff will all be back later on in uh, the autumn at some point. I think we're probably looking at late October at the earliest for quite a lot of those. Now we'll move on to highlights for next week on TV. 
highlights for next week. Insecure Season 3, that's coming to Sky Atlantic on the 16th of August at 10.45. That's a comedy looking at the contemporary black experience. I've not seen any of this, but I know there is a lot of quite big fans of that out there. I'm, I'm told it's quite good. Uh, Ballers, again, I've not watched this. I know, I know Ross is quite a big fan of Ballers. That's coming to Sky Atlantic on the 16th, uh, just before Insecure, actually. 10 past 10, that's on as well. Then uh, new shows, Disenchantment, which is uh, the new fan- animated comedy fantasy series from Simpsons creator Matt Goering. It, it looks really good. The trailer, if you haven't watched it already, looks absolutely fabulous. So I'm really looking forward to that one. And I like the idea that they're doing it in kind of short runs and um, yeah. the kind of uh, all killer, no filler approach and putting it up on it's Netflix, isn't it? Yeah, it's Netflix. Yeah. Netflix, 17th of August that arrives. Yeah, so I think I'm, that looks good. I, yeah, it looks great. It's basically kind of Game of Thrones meets The Simpsons, essentially. So uh, I, I think that looks fantastic. That's going to be really good. Uh, Krypton, as we mentioned earlier, Krypton starts on E4 on the 19th of August at 9pm. I have seen the first episode of this. I know you've managed I've to see it. I've had few access up. to the, the first series. And yeah. it, it is good. As I've said before, the, the cinematography, the mise-en-scene, the costume design, the set design, that's all really, really lovely. It is a little bit kind of young adult small billy in the yeah, way it's covering I, the characters I, I, things but it is very good i mean i kept watching it and i'm i'm normally kind of like get bored of things that have that kind of feel quite yeah. quickly but it is it is a beautiful show yeah yeah most of yeah. the sets are real as well which is really yes. interesting yeah they, they've put a lot of effort into physical effects and things and the the way they branch out from because the, it's weird because the primary storyline in some ways i'm and the primary character driven parts of the storylines i'm not actually that interested in yeah. but the world building and yeah. having the idea that Krypton has kind of the government's sort of been taken over by a kind of religious cult type um, form of government and um, the internal politics between the characters and, and that stuff mm. is, is really good and really adding to the Superman kind of mythos and adding extra things that we've not really seen before. It, it's um, There's a lot in there. I'm interested to see where it goes for the yeah. next season, how the storyline develops. But yes. I, I'm kind of torn on it because, yeah, in some ways I really don't like it and in other ways I'm really, really intrigued and, and I seem to be keep watching it yeah i mean uh, to me it seemed like it was aimed at a slightly older audience than your sort of cw shows it, it felt a little bit older than that not like sort of full-blown adult either but it sort of seems like it's, it's, it's aiming it's, slightly higher it's got a lot of teen angst yeah yeah there is a certain amount of that teen certainly angst, i mean they're young characters but... and they're, they're your primary characters the yeah i find that the characters other than the primary characters and the storyline other than the time travel and save Superman bit. That's the bit I've enjoyed. You're, you're aware of one of the villains that's turning off in season two, though. Uh, who is? Lobo. What? <laughs> Lobo, apparently. I, I, uh, this cave I've been in, um, <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned it. I've been so busy these last few weeks, I've missed so much. I, I utterly adore Lobo and I do not remotely think that's going to work. I'm so <laughs> negative. I... Lobo, however, needs his own series and it needs to be on a channel which likes blood and nudity. Um, Yes. So I I don't know. Um, I mean... Would Lobo be on... Yeah, we'll see. We'll I, see. I'm interested. I'm intrigued. I, I mean, I'm going to watch season two anyway. And now I'm doubly going to watch season two. Um, I wonder which which version of Lobo it's going to be because it can't be the original slash current. It's probably more likely to be the weird bit in the middle that everyone kind maybe. of pretends didn't happen. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But we'll, we'll see. But Lobo is, is turning up in season two, apparently. <laughs> That's uh, Krypton E4, 19th of August at 9pm. Stitchers coming for its third and final season because it's been off air in the 
the US for a year already. 21st of August at 8pm for that on Sci-Fi UK. And lastly, we have your favourite show, Killjoys, is back for yes. its fourth season on the 21st of August at 9pm. I'm still way, way, way behind on that. I catch really up. need to catch, catch up. up. I know I've been living in a cave and I've missed all the news, but at least I'm up to date on the episodes. <laughs> so, yeah. yes, I do need to catch up on that, definitely. You um, do. Killjoys is great fun for people who haven't been watching it so far. It is ridiculous space wars, cyberpunk bounty hunting, the awesomeness. It's just great fun. Yes. So on that positive note, I think we should leave it. <laughs> you just don't trust me anymore. I'm, I'm never going to be allowed back on this podcast again. <laughs> Um, if you want to find Bex you can find her at you can find me being usually far more positive than this <laughs> uh-huh. over uh, on, on Trista Bytes uh, Bytes spelled B-Y-T-E-S because I'm that geeky <laughs> I have YouTube Twitter Instagram Facebook uh, all under the exact same name I do lots of movie reviews I also go around to all of the comic conventions and games conventions and do interviews with people like the indie games guys indie comic book creators and also some of the panels at MCM and things when I'm not doing work for the wonderful Geek Town UK you can find at geektown.co.uk which you can get all your news and there's interviews and stuff up there this week so go and find that on geektown.co.uk if you want to get in touch with your questions and comments email us on podcast at geektown.co.uk you can leave a message on the website post find us at geektown on twitter on facebook at facebook.com forward slash geektown on youtube at youtube.com forward slash geektown and on instagram at geektown uk that is everything we shall see you next week bye 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 Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.